Welcome to the Insomnia Coach Podcast. My name is Martin Reed. I believe that nobody needs to live with chronic insomnia and that cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, CBTI techniques, can help you enjoy better sleep for the rest of your life. Daniel Erickson is a sleep physician of eight years and is currently practicing in Eugene, Oregon. He's also the man behind Bedtime, a CBTI-based iPhone app, host of the Insomnia Insight YouTube channel and podcast, and author of two books, Sleep 101 and Why We Don't Sleep. In this episode, Daniel explains why he is such a believer in CBTI and why eight hours of sleep is not an appropriate goal to aim for. We also discuss the barriers that make it harder for people with insomnia to improve their sleep, how to cope with setbacks when implementing CBTI techniques, and the problem with melatonin and other supplements for insomnia. A full transcript of this podcast and an accompanying video can be found at insomniacoach.com forward slash podcast. All right, so Daniel, thank you for being here with me today. Oh, thank you. I'm just so excited to be here, really. It's great to have you. So first of all, can you tell us a bit more about how you got into sleep and a bit more about your day-to-day work with your sleep patients? Absolutely. So uh, I'll start like quickly from the way, way in the beginning, you know, my, my dad's a doctor, my mom's a nurse. So I just kind of fall in that, in the, in those, in, the, in that, you know, medical footsteps and uh, eventually found myself uh, doing uh, pediatrics actually in, in the Bronx, New York. And I was, I was doing well, but I, I knew I wanted to do some kind of subspecialty, some kind of fellowship. And I didn't really know what to do. I initially thought I was going to do something really intense, like pediatric intensive care, but I realized that was not for me. And it was really like a friend of mine just said, oh, Daniel, you know, do you know that there's a fellowship in sleep medicine? That made me really curious because I always liked like higher functions, like what, and I, you know, I was really curious about like, what is the purpose of sleep? Like, why do we sleep? And, uh, and so that's how I applied and got into sleep fellowship. And then uh, what happened was um, I was really fortunate because my fellowship director was, he taught us the CBT, like very basic, but they taught us CBT. So uh, I was, you know, I thought it was interesting, started practicing. And then I realized that A, you know, it works, it helps people. But B, it's like nobody's heard about it. Mm-hmm. And, and then I got more and more interest in really like working with insomnia. But that's, uh, it, that's how I got into to sleep and insomnia. Mm-hmm. And so CBT, which we know is cognitive behavioral therapy, um, and it's slightly modified for insomnia, like specifically for people with insomnia. Um, so d- do you practice CBTI techniques like on a daily basis with people that you see in clinic? Yeah, I, I was, I, it's rarely that a day goes by without me doing some CBT. Uh, I work, you know, uh, in a sleep clinic, a uh, uh, pretty t- typical sleep clinic, meaning the bulk of what we see is sleep apnea. I would say like probably 70 to 80% of patients are referred to us because they have sleep apnea. But that said, you know, there's a good, you know, the other 30%, a lot of people have insomnia, but out of those people that were referred because they have sleep apnea, when you get a history, a lot of them really have insomnia. So I just, I say definitely between one to four patients a day is like straight up CT. Yeah. And so, so, when you learned about CBTI, what was it about it that resonated with you? Like before you actually started to implement it yourself, what made you think, ah, this is the way forward? 
Oh, that's a really good question. I have to say, like the, the what we learned was uh, like really what I remember learning is like the three like three core techniques, which is like bedtime restriction, you know, spending less time in bed to build a street sleep drive, and then stimulus control, and you know, leaving the bed when you can't sleep to reassociate, etc. Now, I I thought when I really started, like when I learned about it, it wasn't really that it spoke to me from the beginning. I just thought it was interesting and it was something a little bit different, and I understood the logic behind it. Hmm. But when it really started to speak to me, if you will, was when I was actually, I was done with training. I started practicing and I realized how big of a problem it was. And then it kind of started growing on me how important it was. Some, something to that effect, yeah. Mm-hmm. So why do you think that these CBTI techniques are just so effective for people with chronic insomnia? I think uh, because, well, well there's, there's two aspects to it, I think. One is like looking at it from a pure like sleep physiology perspective. Uh, and what I, you know, talk a lot about with clients and patients. Uh, when I say clients, by the way, I mean like people I interact with on the YouTube channel and patients in clinic. Uh, it, the, the pure physiology aspect of it is like, uh, you know, the only thing that can produce sleep is you being awake and building a strong sleep drive. And then uh, it makes you know logic sense to like have more wakefulness, spend less time in bed. Like it works. Like it works from a pure sleep physiology standpoint. That's mm-hmm. one thing. And the other thing is that CBTI. And this is the part that I think is often overlooked, and a lot of not, a lot of people don't get this part of the CBTI, which is so important. Is that CBTI untangles a lot of those beliefs that people like innately like start to develop as they have insomnia. And, you know, as you know, Martin, some people, uh, you, you treat some people that have had insomnia for a couple of weeks and they have some beliefs and some people have had it for years and they're really entrenched in all types of, mm-hmm. you know, behaviors and beliefs that are just so, dis- so um, unhelpful. So CBTI like distang- like un- unentangling people, that's the other part why I think it's so, so effective. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, all right. So, so based on that, you're also working on an app called Bedtime uh, for, for the iPhone, I believe it is. Can you tell us a bit more about, about this app? Like what, what gave you the idea to develop it? How does it work? And how do you see it helping people with, ins- with insomnia? The original story, you know, so I've, I had practiced sleep medicine for maybe six, seven years. And I was getting to this point where I was like, I was just saying the same thing over and over to people, like talking about like the basic CBT stuff. And I was like, how, I was like, I was like shocked. But like, how could it be that there are millions of people out there in insomnia? Literally, like I, I've done some math on this, by the way, Martin. And I, I figured like if 50% of everybody in like the Western world have insomnia, there would be something like 150 million people with like chronic insomnia, which is insane. so many people in insomnia. And then we know that CBTI works and like, literally not a single patient I saw in clinic had heard about it and understood it. I was like, I was like getting like really, I I couldn't understand it. So that was in the back of my mind. And then, and then I I was at the sleep conference 2017 in Boston. And then it kind of just came to me. Like, it was just like a sudden thing. I was like, I know how this could work. I was like bedtime restriction, which is fairly straightforward could basically just be it could be comprised into an algorithm. Like you ask people, how much sleep do you need? What time do you want to wake up? And it just tells you do this and then it can titrate it and stuff like that. I was like, this could be really helpful. And I, I didn't think that it would be like 
like the solution to insomnia. But I think this could be helpful. And uh, so that's, that's where it came from. But then uh, after launching it and after like getting, speaking more about insomnia, starting a YouTube channel and talking to you, Martin, uh, one thing I really realized is that they, 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 you cannot solve somebody's insomnia without that cognitive portion, that disentangling, understanding. So um, what I'm working on now is like uh, adding like, so everybody who downloads the app is going to have like a coach from the from day one that kind of helps them. So that's where I'm going with that. That's, that's awesome. I think the cognitive side of it is often overlooked. Like um, we tend to just focus on the behavioral side of things with CBTI. You know, when you see the advice online, a lot of it tends to be, we'll spend less time in bed, get out of bed when you can't sleep. But apart from that, it's kind of like, trust me, right? The, exactly. I, I and these techniques are hard, especially in the short term. And so you really need to have a really good understanding of the logic behind them to like exactly. where you think about them. And that's really critical. I tend to find that when I talk to people that say they've tried CBTI, but it didn't work for them. There's so many ways you can kind of pick that apart. You know, it's like, well, how long did you try? Um, how consistent were you? was it even CBTI or was it just exactly. sleep hygiene? Exactly. Um, and then sometimes it, you can like kind of drill down to it and it's just, well, you were told about the behavioral side of things, but no explanation was given as to why this is important. You know, and I, I feel without that understanding, you're almost kind of doomed to failure unless you're just a naturally really trustworthy <laughs> person. No, you, you know, I, I'm just going to echo what you said in different, in a little slightly different way for, you know, so people can, you know, sometimes that helps. It's like what my wife told me, there's something very similar. Like if you're asking somebody to change their behavior, well, they can't, they're not going to do that unless they understand why they're supposed to change it. Mm -hmm. you know? So, you know, just echo that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you're so, you're so prolific in the field of sleep. So you've done two books as well. Um, your newest one, which is Why We Don't Sleep, um, which I just, just read uh, a couple of days ago, actually. Um, I just want to share, rather than me trying to describe what the book's about, I think you wrote an excellent forward at the start of the book. So I just want to read that. Um, and then I'm going to lead into a question, okay? Sure. All right. So this is the forward to the book, which is called Why We Don't Sleep, how the wellness industry unintentionally created an insomnia epidemic and how academia, media, the medical community, nonprofits, and a large governmental body keep feeding it. And this is the forward. What if I told you that nothing you've heard about how insomnia or insufficient sleep affects your health was true? What if I told you that sleeping four hours per night did nothing more than make you feel terrible and that sleep deprivation does not cause brain damage, heart problems, or early death? Would that make you sleep better? Would that make you share the good news with others, helping them sleep better as well? I sure hope so, because that is the purpose of this book. Now, I thought that was a really powerful <laughs> opening statement just because we both work with people with insomnia every single day, right? So we recognize that so much of the anxiety and the worry about sleep is based on what's going to happen to me. How is this going to impact my health? I'm going to die earlier. I'm going to get Alzheimer's. I'm going to get cancer. And this kind of like feeds into it. And your first words in this book are, none of this is true. So, so here's a couple of questions for you. I'll start with one. <laughs> sure. Let, yeah. me start, let me start with one. So, we're all told that we need eight hours of sleep, right? So how does this match up with you telling us that, all right, if you get four nights, you might feel like kind of lousy the next day, but it's not going to affect your health. 
How does how does this match up with what we're told? Yeah, yeah, you know, that's a good question. Uh, I wish everybody always asked me that question because I'm 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 trying to give people the answer, but nobody's asking the question. But yeah, so first of all, I want to say that eight hour number. I've done quite a lot of digging to to figure out like where does that eight hour number come from? And there's absolutely no you know no shred of science studies that that supports that eight hour number, but uh, it's, it's been around for like, there are 300 old year old references. Like people have been thinking that eight hours is like a magic number for a long time, but here's the interesting thing. And I'm sure you know this literature as well, Martin, but there are big studies where people look at, you know, at least thousands of people and multiple. So I'm sure like tens of thousands of people have been studied where you, you check how much people estimate sleeping and how much they actually objectively sleep. And, and it's very, very consistent. Like people that are like healthy adults that don't have any sleep issues typically will say, I sleep about seven hours. And now when you objectively test those same people, either with like actigraphy, you know, or like EG, like brain activity uh, measuring, people sleep about six hours. So people tend to overest about an hour. So in reality, people sleep about six hours. So that, I think that's, Super important to know. And by the way, last uh, and last uh, thing on this is that not only is this true here in, in the U.S. where we are now or in the Western world, but people have done studies in like pre-industrial societies where there isn't even artificial light, like in Tanzania, Bolivia, Namibia. And guess how much people sleep there? Objectively tested, six hours, exactly the amount here. So I do not know where that eight-hour number comes from, and. Uh, and in terms of health consequences, uh, there are also very, very big studies that showing that short sleep uh, is, is particularly insomnia has, has no link to, you know, shortened lifespan or hasn't been shown to cause any health consequences. And so short sleep and long sleep also have not shown, been shown to cause any health consequences. And we can talk more about that if you want to, but I'll leave it there. Yeah, I can. Yeah, <laughs> it's like uh, you. It's like you're reading my mind. Um, I completely agree with you. You know, and I think a lot of this, the perpetuation with this whole idea that we need, like, say, eight hours. I'll just say that because that's the most common common number you see banded around. I think also is because people with insomnia tend to compare their sleep with that of others. So if you are someone who doesn't struggle with sleep, how much sleep do you get? They, they don't know because they don't think about it. So they'll just say eight hours because that's what they read in the media. <laughs> right, exactly. A good amount of sleep, right? So they don't think about it. So they'll just say, oh, I don't know, eight hours. And so then it gets the person with insomnia even more worried. They're like, everyone I know says eight hours. What are you, yeah. what are you talking about, Daniel? You're, t- you're saying that everyone sleeps six when all my friends are telling me eight. But I think they probably are only getting like six hours of sleep, but they're not thinking about it. So they're just defaulting to eight hours. Hundred percent. I think that's hundred percent correct. And I want to sneak one thing in. Like when I started developing this app, I talked about part of it is you know it asks the user how much how much are you sleeping. And when I asked friends to test it, the most common complaint was they were like, "How am I supposed to know that? Can't the app just calculate that for me?" And I realized they have no clue how much they sleep, just as you say. Yeah, exactly. And I think when we don't struggle with sleep. We just assume that from the moment we get into bed exactly. to when we get out of bed, we're asleep, right? Yep. So, for example, I think last night I went to bed at like midnight and I woke up at like eight o'clock. 
That doesn't mean. So I was, yes, exactly. So that's not going to mean I got eight hours of sleep. I was probably lying there for an hour before I fell asleep. I probably woke during the night and was awake for a little bit during the night. And I probably, probably took, I probably woke up like half an hour before eight o'clock, you know? So there's all these chunks of missing time, but because I don't think about them, probably does come into between six and seven hours. You know, it's not that yeah. eight hours. Yeah, exactly. And I, I talked about this pretty, pretty recently. I thought a lot about this and I came up with this uh, term I called sleep envy, you know, like a lot of songs have like sleep envy, but the truth is that that other person is not sleeping as much as you think they do. So no reason to have sleep envy. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And it's just not constructive, is it? Because we all have our own sleep needs, you know, we can compare it to like shoe sizes, you know, we don't, <laughs> yeah, right. we don't get mad because our friend wears a size six shoe and we want to, we, we wear a size yeah. four shoe. Yeah, that's right? good. Yeah. So yeah. why do we get just as concerned when it comes to sleep? Because we're all different. 100%. All right. So moving on from that on a similar kind of vein, what do you think is the worst habit or the worst like trait that you tend to see among people with insomnia that really feeds into their sleep issues? Yeah, right. I, I saw, you, you know, uh, you sent me some potential questions and, and I thought a little bit about that one. And uh, it, well, in fact, I will say, well, as soon as I saw that question in, in t- initially, like intuitively, uh, I thought self-monitoring. Um, and I know you know this, Martin, but uh, what I feel like so many of the people I, I work with uh, are doing is they're self-monitoring. They're, they're checking exactly like how much they slept, how many times they woke up. They count the minutes they woke up. Uh, it, clock watching is a, part of, a big part of that. But that like introspectiveness, that like trying, like really, really looking at how you're sleep, like how much you're sleeping to the minute mm-hmm. is really, really destructive. And, and the reason it is, and I'll segueing a little bit from that, you know, the goal with CBTI, and this is a kind of a recent, which is recently, really dawned upon me recently, the goal has to be that you should be like happy and live a happy life and, and like be, um, you know, feel good and not, the goal cannot be, I need to get seven hours because having that hour goal, it leads to more more self-monitoring, more introspective, more clock watching, more obsession, more insomnia versus like, I want to feel good and have a happy life. That leads away from that. that, You know, it takes your attention away from hours and and, and self-monitoring and towards, you know, sleeping better. So I think that self-monitoring is one of the really big ones. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, what I mean, it's easier said than done though, right? I mean, I tend to, when I start getting towards the end of working with clients, so often like the biggest thing they tell me is, you know, my biggest takeaway was don't think about sleep. Don't worry about sleep. Um, if you have a bad night, don't worry about it. But it's so easy to just say that to someone, right? Don't worry about your sleep and then it will be fine. So how do you, how do you get through this? So if someone's listening to this now and they're thinking, Oh yeah, it's all well and good. You telling me not to worry about my sleep, but how do I actually not worry about my sleep? What would your answer be to them? You know, I I think about that all the time because that's one of the crucial things. How, how do you do that? And this is the best I've come so far uh, is I usually tell people like, um, if I tell you not to think of a pink elephant, guess what? You think of a pink elephant, of course, right? So that doesn't work. You can't just decide not to worry. And, and what I feel is that the, the best way is distraction. It is, you have to find something that you enjoy doing, uh, whether that's, you know, spending time with family, with friends, a hobby, you know, an interest that you have. Like, you have to find something that consumes your time and, and, and let that become like where your attention goes. I think that's the best one. 
and, and by the way, I want to sneak a little thing in here, uh, which was, I think was really funny. I had this um, a person that, I was, that was emailed me from the YouTube channel who said he had started having insomnia. And then what happened he, is he, he started having these GI symptoms like acid reflux and stuff, and he became really worried about that. And guess what? Like his, his insomnia got better. It just shows you how like even if you're, you're distracted, your attention goes towards like something that's not necessarily good, mm-hmm. any attention that's taken away from insomnia is good. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's one reason why it's so important to try not to modify your your life or your routine or your schedule in response to a bad night of sleep. You know, I think one of the real one of the worst things you can do is like call in sick to work or cancel plans with friends, because then all you're doing is thinking about the insomnia, thinking about the sleep, and you're guaranteeing the sleep has a bad impact on your life. Absolutely. It's like uh, another way of saying the same thing is like, you 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 know when when you modify something or when you when you cancel an event because you had insomnia you ascribe you're giving the insomnia power you're acknowledging that it has a lot of impact on your life so definitely yeah definitely stay away from that yeah i mean i've got a little little story to share with you about that i mean i had a client that he he was able to tra- he was able to identify the trigger of his insomnia it was he hated his job it was a stressful it. job and he yeah. didn't like it Right. So what he, he did something about it. He quit and he found a new job, but the new job didn't start for, I think it was like a four week gap. So he was like, right during this period, I'm going to get my sleep back on track. Yeah. So I was working with him and he was implementing all the behavioral techniques, um, making some progress pretty slow though. So I asked him, well, what, tell me what you're doing during the days pretty much nothing you know he would just stay indoors maybe watch some tv he would rarely even get out of the house so we talked about okay what are some activities you used to enjoy doing during the day before Mm -hmm. you struggled with sleep he gave me a list of like a dozen things he loves to do so i was like well how about you just every single day you pick one thing on that list and you just do it like sometimes it might be easy sometimes it might be a struggle but just force yourself to do one every day yeah. Well, um, I left him with that kind with that task for a week. He come back in a week. I'm not going to say he was magically cured, but the progress he had made it was incredible. Yeah. Like he was finding it much easier to fall asleep. He was less worried when he woke during the day. What, I'm sorry, when he woke during the night, and he just had a better outlook, and his the quality of his day got better. So he yeah. was thinking about sleep less, worrying about sleep less, yeah. and that in itself like drove the improvements in his sleep. A hundred percent. Yeah. All right. So, all right, here's a good question for you. So how do you you help people who seem to be getting back on track, whether it's going through a really structured course of CBTI or one or two techniques, they're doing well, maybe for a few weeks. And then all of a sudden, like their insomnia just comes back. They have maybe one bad night. They're not too worried, but then it's two, then three. And then all of a sudden they fear their insomnia comes back they're never going to be able to fall asleep again. Like what's the next step for these people? Oh, that, yeah, good question. And uh, that, of course, that happens all the time. Uh, so uh, I, I have, I, all, I know exactly what I'm going to answer you. So, uh, and it, it goes along with what we said before, but when, when that happens, when you're kind of like, you have been doing a bit better and then you have this, some people call it like a setback or, you know, like the insomnia comes back. Then and this is really hard, but the, the best thing to do is not react to it. Mm-hmm. Basically, don't try to change anything. Don't do anything. This is the it's, in fact, it's the most important time at all to be not non-reactive. And because again, if you start like changing things, then you're back towards like 
oh, I changed this. Now we're going to see how that's going to work. Oh, now they gave me even less sleep. Now I'm going to change another thing. And you're chasing your tail again and things are spinning out of control. So it's really important. And this is like so paradoxical, but you know, it's really important to do as little as possible. And I know you heard this one, but I think the perfect, a really good analogy and credit to Sasha Stevens. I read it in her book, Bedtime Stories. But imagine that, you know, you getting better is like you hiking up to mountaintop and at the mountaintop is a place of like you're happy, you're sleeping well, everything's going well for you. Uh, now, if you, and you're, you, you have done that, you, you, you have been hiking up, but suddenly you stumble on a rock, you know? And if you then start like stop and you like examine the rock, you look at it, like why did I fall upon this? How should I change my stride? How can I keep this from happening again? You're never gonna get there. You have to just be forward looking and and then a little thing and focus on the good. Like imagine you have been doing so much progress, focus on that and just keep moving forward. Mm -hmm. I think you, that's great. I think you had um, another, another like little anecdote and it was something to do with, um, you know, when you're trying to raise a child and if you ignore their behavior, then they can suddenly come back with a vengeance and really be kicking and screaming, you know, and then you, you have this doubt. Uh, do I keep going? Is this not working? Like, can you tell me a bit more about oh, that? Oh yeah. Well, that was yesterday. Oh, that was like, <laughs> you know, it's funny. Like, yeah, I do. I stalk you, Daniel. I know everything. I know. Right. No, you know, honestly, Martin, it's so fun interacting with you because you two, I think we're kind of like semi obsessed and we always think about these things, but I, I, uh, I was in the shower. So what happened was this one uh, person I'm interacting with now, she, she sent me an email her name is uh, Natasha. She had the same thing. I was doing better for a couple of days than like things just came crashing down. Mm -hmm. And another guy, uh, I, in fact, I don't know if this is, I don't know if this is a woman or a man, but Zimi, uh, same thing. Like he, the title of that email was like 10 steps backward. And then it dawned upon me that this is what's called an extinction burst. It's like, when you're trying, you know, your child is always like acting up and you're kind of like pacifying that child by saying, I stopped doing that, stop doing that, stop, stop. And you can kind of semi keep it under control. But then you realize that that child just wants your attention. And you're like, what I have to do to finally kind of you know, eliminate this behavior. I was like, I'm not going to give this child any attention, but guess what? Before that, that starts working, that child is going to want your attention like nothing else. They're going to be screaming and kicking and like pulling you. They really want your attention now. And, and, and so that's why you have this kind of like setback. It's actually a good sign. It's a sign that you pulling away attention, this child is trying to fight, but if you just keep going, don't give it that attention, it will go, like that behavior will go, will go away potentially forever. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I really, I had that, my insight was like, that, that is a good sign. It's a good sign when you have that initial quote unquote setback, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think that that will resonate with anyone who is a parent. I think every <laughs> parent can identify with that one. Right. I wanted to make sure that we did, we discussed that. That's great. Oh, hey, and that was, now I'm going to sneak another one in there right. because I, I, you know, thinking about child and having kids and everything. And this is, and this is one of your, your, uh, something I taught, I got from you, Martin, you, you, you taught me how, you know, you, you can hold your breath for only so long, right? Eventually, you know, you have to start breathing. It's kind of like, and I thought about that, like, yeah, you cannot hold your breath up to a point where you actually harm your body. It's just simply impossible. Same mm -hmm. thing with sleep. Like you can have insomnia, you can sleep very little, but it cannot harm you. And then thinking about children, you know how kids have these like breath holding spells? Right, have you heard yeah. about those? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they like, they want something badly and then they just hold their breath until they literally turn blue. And sometimes like, you know, they even like pass out, but they, but that's the point. Like they can turn blue, but they can't harm themselves. 
Breathing comes back. Sleep comes back. Yeah. Uh, It's like insomnia as a little child, right? And it just demands all of our attention. And the best way of of dealing with that is to just kind of ignore ignore it, right? 100%. All right. So let's move on and talk about success. Okay. So I know, you know, everyone that's kind of involved in cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia knows that it really works. Um, it can be hard to implement, but it works. So have you got any success stories that you can share with us? Like, is there someone who maybe seemed to struggle with the techniques or they struggled with insomnia for so long and thought they were beyond help? Um, maybe they relapsed, uh, but they ultimately got their sleep back on track. Are there any kind of success stories like that you can share? Yeah. You know, uh, when, when you, when we first talked, Martin, and you said like your, your podcast was going to focus on success. I was like, that's brilliant. Cause we so need that. And, uh, and I think this is good for everyone hearing this, that, you know, imagine that if one single person has, you know, gotten past their insomnia using CBTI, that means you can too. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's, you know, the success stories are so important. And, um, and as we talked here, uh, I, I, you know, I remember we saying like maybe something from clinic from that world since I'm, you know, sleep doctor and I, and I, 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 I actually yesterday I was like, this is the perfect one. So I'm going to talk about this one. So I saw this uh, patient the first time, I believe maybe six months ago, something in that time frame, And um, at that time she was referred because of sleep apnea. That's what was said in the referral. And, um, and it turns out when I saw her that she'd had a sleep study, had very mild sleep apnea was using CPAP like faithfully, but wasn't really feeling any better. And the interesting thing was that the main, the chief complaint was that she was just so tired and sleepy uh, to a point where, you know, she had been treated with like stimulant medications that you use for like narcolepsy and I felt like didn't really feel any better. And um, had even gone through this like multiple sleep latency testing, which is like really involved testing for narcolepsy where you check like how many times, you know, you get like five opportunities to nap and you, you see how long it takes to fall asleep and, and had fallen asleep in on average 12 minutes per nap, which is a long time, meaning like this is not objective, like excessively, this is not narcolepsy, mm-hmm. but just like was not feeling any better. So the first thing I did was like, I couldn't really figure it out because, you know, she would go to bed like 9.30, get out of bed like, you know, six. And like, I was like, that's plenty of time to sleep. So you're not insufficient sleep. Sleep apnea is well treated. It's not sleep apnea. And I was like, do you feel depressed? And she was like, I have a history of depression, but it feels well treated now. I just, I was like, you know what? How about try bright light therapy? It was like, it's usually not a dramatic effect, but some people feel like it's helpful. So I was like, maybe get a bright light therapy, expose yourself to bright light and see how you feel. Came back, not feeling any better, still like really sleepy, tired. And uh, I was, I was referred to a psychiatrist, but at some point during that encounter, I was like, saw on the med list that she'd been, uh, she'd been prescribed Ambien. I was like, that's really odd because you're really sleep and tired and you've been prescribed Ambien. So how are you sleeping? He's like, well, not that great. I was like, Oh, now I'm interested. I'm like, so tell me more. So I was go to bed at nine 30, but you know, I wake up two hours later and then, then I stay awake for some time and then I have a fitful sleep fragment of sleep. And then I get, I was like, you have insomnia. I was like, and it's a little bit unusual presentation, but I was like, you got insomnia. I was like, let's try CBT. And then uh, I said, you know, so from now, I know this sounds weird, but I know you're tired and sleepy, but I want you to go to bed later and get up earlier, spend less time in bed. And she was like, okay, uh, willing to try. Like was kind of in the desperate mode. Like I want to try everything, came back and was like, I'm feeling better. 
Hmm. I like, I'm feeling a little bit less tired. I'm sleeping a little bit better. And, um, and my counselor who's going to see for, um, who she was going to see for like, um, the depression also knows a little bit CBT. So I was like encouraged. And by the, by the way, at that time she was, um, uh, not employed, you know, and then just recently saw her back and it was like one of those, like, it's a new person, like mm-hmm. happy, smiling, like sleeping good from like, you know, you know, most of the time sleeping pretty well from like 11 to six or something like that. But most importantly, like looking for a job again, like, uh, just like it, it was dramatic, like, and that, um, it was, that that was a true success story. I think. Really. Yeah, that, that's amazing, isn't it? So, what what was it? Can you just clarify what was it that made you think, oh, this is insomnia? Was it because the awakenings during the night? It took did was did it take her a long time to fall back to sleep when she woke during the night? Or yeah, that that was that was a big one. It was, the reason. Well, let me if, if I phrase it another way. The reason I didn't even think of insomnia was that the main complaint was like feeling tired and sleepy, and then I was let down the sleep apnea track. But it was like when I realized that she was going to bed really early, more in an attempt to get more sleep, typical insomnia, like she wanted more sleep. And then the like, it wasn't the sleep apnea where you have like, you wake up, fall asleep, wake up, fall asleep. Right. It was like the long awakening. And, uh, and so that, that was the clue like, oh, this is insomnia. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's, I, I tend to work with, I work with some people that have treated sleep apnea, you know, they're, they're already on the machines or they just, they have really mild apnea. So they yeah. just have the dental appliance. Yeah. Um, so I'm always really careful to make sure that they do have insomnia. You know, it's not just there's something that's something not right in terms of their current treatment for the apnea. And I think like one of the key giveaways is if you're waking during the night and you immediately have worry and it takes you a long time to fall back to sleep, that's like a hallmark of insomnia, right? Um, If you're just waking up, if you regularly wake up during the night and fall straight back to sleep or you kind of feel like you don't really have a problem with sleep, but you wake up in the morning and you just feel lousy, like you just, as though you didn't sleep. And they're more of the, the more of the symptoms of, of apnea. Would you would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I think the key, like the uh, is like as you said, the short, the brief, multiple awakenings, and then it's also like uh, I just this is just something I thought about as we were speaking right now. It's like the external, the kind of external versus internal reason that you wake up. Meaning, sleep apnea is also quote unquote internal. Like you know, it's, it's the tongue falling back uh, that wakes you up, but it's still like. It's not an emotional, if you will, state that wakes you up. So you wake up and it's, it, it, you know, it, it could be, can be frightening, but people wake up because they're choking literally, but they're not emotionally affected. They're like, oh, I wake up choking. Oh, that was, that was, that was terrible. And then they fall back asleep. It's, it's an, in a way, an external awakening versus insomnia where it's like your state of, you know, your emotional state wakes up and then you're aroused, you're worried, you're anxious and you can't fall back asleep. Absolutely. That's great. So you have a YouTube channel as well. Um, it's called Insomnia Insight. Um, I'm sure that, well, I know because I watch it, but you do, you have a lot of involvement in people, you know, they email you with their concern, their sleep concerns, and you try and address them in day, daily videos, pretty much daily videos. Um, have you got any kind of success stories from, from the YouTube channel that spring to mind, you know, where someone has like kind of struggled, thought that, nope, this isn't going to work, I'm beyond help, and they've actually started to see some improvement in their sleep. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's several. And, uh, and before I forget this, by the way, um, yesterday, um, I, because I'm, I'm, uh, 
inspired by your success stories and everything, Martin, I, I, I decided that I want to write another book, which is really going to be um, going over kind of basic techniques, but also picking um, people from the YouTube channel that have done well, uh, mostly people that have done well, some other good examples. And then what I realized as I was going through my email list was that everybody who I had a kind of longer conversation with actually did well. Mm-hmm. And it was those people that um, you know, sent an email to me and I sent them kind of a long reply and they just said, okay, thank you. I don't know, but I have a feeling that they may have not done well because they didn't commit. But anyway, that's just a side note. Um, I, I think there was this, this one, um, how she, she, uh, a lady, um, she's from, is she from Canada? Uh, yeah, I think she's from the Canadian West Coast named Suzanne. She's uh, retired, maybe in her 60s. But she, you know, j- j- randomly stumbled across my, uh, my YouTube channel and we started, you know, communicating uh, via that. And, and she, she didn't have a long insult. It was like maybe six to nine months, but pretty classic, you know, um, a lot of worry, tried a lot of, um, a lot of supplements and, and, and again, I can't, I can't, since I didn't read it, I can't remember all the details, but it was also not easy at all. Like the first, the first four to six weeks, a lot of these setbacks, struggling, trying mm-hmm. again, uh, and then, and then finally, kind of like she was doing a little bit better. And about three months into our, you know, our interaction, um, she she was doing pretty well. And then, kind of what finally, you know, got her to this point where I think I consider her completely recovered was in fact that she was traveling to India and she was going to leave for four weeks. And she was a little bit worried about it, but I told her I think that could be really good for you, you know, change of environment and everything. And when she came back, she emailed me and said, you know, I had a great time. I haven't thought about sleep at all. I sleep great. And even now, like a couple of months into it, she's doing fantastic. So that's one of, one of a, a, a number of other success stories from the channel. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think what's really important just listening to you there was the fact that it took months, you know, it took a few months of effort, you know, like CBTI isn't, I think it is pretty much a miracle cure, but it doesn't work overnight. You know, it takes a lot of effort and it can be really hard. And some people respond to it within just a couple of weeks, but some people they need months of consistent implementation before they get that, to that breakthrough moment where they they don't even think about sleep anymore. Yeah. It can be, it can be really different. Like I, you I have this couple of people that I interact with that literally they just need a little bit of bedtime restriction and they, and they're fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also, just the other day I got an email from another person named Tuan um, who I've been interacting with a lot. And he, and he like, he, he started having problems with me about two years ago, started like doing like self-directed CBT. When I connected with him six months ago, he was doing a little better, but now he's doing really good. But him was the classical like week to week progress, week to week, like a little bit, little bit better all the time. So yeah, it's very different. But, yeah. but again, I think honestly, like I, we talked about this before, I, I'm starting really to think of CBTI as it's like diet and exercise for weight loss. Meaning like if you do it, it will work. It's hard to commit to it, but if you do it, it will work. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I completely, completely agree with you. And just to comment on the week to week thing that you just mentioned, it's also important to bear in mind that you're not going to make positive improvements every single week. You know, there's going to sure. be setbacks. Absolutely. Almost yeah. everyone has setbacks. It's very yeah. rare that I work with someone for like eight weeks and every single week is constantly. Improved. 100%. Yeah. 
Um, and so it's, that's really important to just bear in mind. So because a lot of people kind of lose lose motivation, you know, especially if they've had like three, four, maybe five weeks consistent improvement, you know, and then they have a bad week and then they start to think, oh, this isn't working. What am I going to do next? This isn't working. I need to look and try something else. But yeah. it, I mean, it is working because five of those six weeks were good. One week was bad. So they've worked for five weeks. So it's just a case of like you said, it's, keep going, you know, don't think about it. Don't examine it. Yeah. A hundred percent. And, uh, I know like, uh, again, like Sasha Stevens, I read a couple of her books and I think she, maybe she's taking it a little too far. I don't know. But what she says is like, you should really play up the positive. And she's like, you should obsess about the positive, like tell people, write it down, like things like that, which may be a little bit too much, but in essence, I agree with it. Like really focus on the positive and see, see the, 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 the setback as like, it's a hiccup, it's a little stumble and then just keep going. Yeah. Yeah. It's so easy to dwell on the negatives though. Right. Yeah. Cause like the brain sees it as like this danger to us. And so it wants yeah. to protect yeah. us. So it wants to dwell on it and examine it. It doesn't care about the good nights because they're not like a perceived threat. So it just completely ignores them. So it's important not to feel bad. Like, with yourself for thinking negatively about the bad nights because that's what you're hardwired to do. And, but it's just a case of recognizing that, you know, and making yourself think about or focus on, on the good side, on the positive side, because your brain by default isn't going to do that for you. hundred percent. It's, it's, uh, it's interesting. You mentioned that I, I've, I've meant to thought about for a long time to do like a video on like self-compassion mm-hmm. you know, don't be hard on yourself. And I think that's super important. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, I, I had this down as a question, but you know, I think we've already covered it, but I'll, I'll ask it anyway. Um, if you could get someone who's like really kind of skeptical about CBTI and you just point them, you, but they were willing to do like one technique as an experiment, one CBTI technique. What, what technique would that be that you would encourage them to try? Right. Yeah. It, I think it would be, um, it would be bedtime restriction. And I know most people, for most people it's known as sleep restriction. And by the way, Another little slide note here. I was biking yesterday. And I was thinking about this. This is terrible. As we talk about all the time, like sleep restriction sounds so terrible. Why not call it sleep expansion? You know, <laughs> like, because you can motivate that because you're expanding the time you're in bed that you sleep. So anyway, but I think that bedtime restriction, whatever you want to call it, I think is that if, if you should choose one, one, I would choose that one um, because it has the element, the other soup. If, if you'd asked me like, not even a technique. If you'd asked me like, choose this one single thing to do, mm-hmm. I would have said, get out of bed the same time every morning. That's mm-hmm. like, if you choose just one single thing, I would choose that. But if, if I can get it to choose technique, it would be better restriction but if, because it includes that, you know, get up uh, every yeah. single time every morning, but then don't spend more than, you know, typically six hours or something like that in bed, which is really, really effective. So I get, I, I agree with you on this morning anchor, you know, the getting out of bed by the same time every single day is just so important. Um, but a lot of people will say to me, well, why do I need to do that? Like everyone I know, they take lines on the weekend or if they have a day off work, they'll stay in bed. Why can't I do that? Like, so can you just talk us through why it's so important to get out of bed at the same time every day? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think I'll start off with this saying that, that friend of yours is sleeping in, they don't, have, they don't have insomnia. So mm-hmm. literally they can do whatever they want. Right. It, it, it's, it's fine. Totally fine for them. But the difference is you, you do have insomnia. So you, you, you can't uh, be as lenient at this time, but, and this is also important. That's where you want to get. 
you want to get to a point where you're not worrying at all about sleep, you're not trying anything to sleep, and you can do whatever you want. That's where you want to go. But why is that so important? I think, I think really this is, this is how I, I would phrase it. Um, the, the, we often th- we think about sleep. When we think about sleep, we often think it starts when we go to bed and it kind of ends when we wake up, right? But mm-hmm. it really is the opposite. Like it all starts when we get, get up. And I think the best way to understand that or to think about it is like what some call the 18-hour rule or 17-hour rule. Let's say, let's say you need seven hours of sleep and they're 24 four hours in the day. Then 24 minus seven equals 17. And so that means... What this means is that it will take 17 hours of wakefulness for you to be ready to sleep. And when you think about it that way, you realize, okay, it, all, it really all starts with the wake-up time. For example, if you wake up, now this is going to be a hard part with math here, but if you wake up at 6 a.m., then you're going to be ready to sleep 17 hours after that, which is going to be, so let's do it, 6, 6 plus 7 Oh, what's that? Help me, Martin. 11, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, 11. If you wake up 6 a.m., you're going to be ready to sleep somewhere around 11. Now, if you wake up four hours after that, if, let's say three hours, let's say three hours after that, let's say you wake up at 9 a.m. or you get out of bed at 9 a.m., that means 17 hours after that, you're not going to be ready to sleep until 2 a.m. When you start thinking of it this way, you realize, okay, it really all is about that wake-up time. Yeah, that's really important to bear in mind. And I love the fact that you say, you know, these people, they can take morning lines because they don't have insomnia. It's kind of like um, saying, well, I have diabetes. I can't eat that cupcake. So that means that what, what, but why can all these other people eat cupcakes? <laughs> right, well, right. They don't have diabetes, right? So, you, it, so that's imp- really important to bear in mind, you know, that's why some people don't need to worry about getting out of bed at the same time every day. But if you've got insomnia, it's so important to... It's just so important to get out of bed at the same time. You, your body really needs that morning anchor, you know, just as you've described. Hundred percent. And and just kind of jumping to another thing, which what I think is is another. It's funny because we talk about like how people don't have something can do it really whatever they want in terms of sleep. Like people often ask me, like classic. I'm sure you get this all the time, especially social occasions when people hear your sleep. They're like, so what do you think of melatonin? What do you think about this supplement? What do you think? When I think that, then my reply is like, well, if you don't have any problems sleeping it's fine. You can do whatever you want. But if you have trouble sleeping, then things are different. Then you should probably really not do it. And, and you know, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm getting, this is a whole different discussion, but we, we can save that for another time. Well, no, it's funny that you mentioned melatonin because uh, all my friends kind of make fun of me because they know like that I'm, that I'm quite against it as a, as a treatment for, as a treatment in, Quote, unquote. You know, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, for insomnia. So anytime we go out and hang out with them, they're like, oh, did you bring the melatonin? Because <laughs> they know that it always gets me going, you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but the reason why just for people listening that don't understand is that we find that so many people with chronic insomnia they take melatonin supplements, right? Because they believe that it's going to bring on sleepiness and help them sleep. But the fact is, there's absolutely no evidence that it helps when it comes to chronic insomnia. There's, there's some kind of patchy evidence that says it might help for other sleep disorders, you know, like circadian rhythm sleep. Right, disorders. right. But when it comes to chronic insomnia, I mean, I've not come across any. And uh, there's even when they do reviews on popular insomnia treatments it's never a recommended treatment for chronic insomnia because there's just insufficient evidence for it yeah it's and it's uh 
it's just one, as you know, of like a thousand supplements that you can try. And, and the reason, like if you have insomnia, it's not good for you to go down that route is because if it quote unquote, if you find that the, the melatonin doesn't help you, that's not good because then you feel like, oh, this is another thing that doesn't help me. Something must be really wrong with me. And you become more anxious. You have more insomnia. If you find that it quote unquote helps you, then you start believing that there's an external thing that can make you sleep and you start losing your sleep confidence. You start believing that you can't sleep by yourself. And then when that melatonin no longer is quote unquote working, you're like in more desperate you know, situations. So yeah, really, really not, not good for insomnia. Yeah. What do you, what do you say to people? Cause I get this quite a lot. What do you say to people that, um, were taking melatonin, they're going through a course of CBTI, they're starting to feel as though they're sleeping better. So then they start to, to come off the melatonin. They decide they're going to stop taking it or reduce it. Um, and then their sleep gets worse. So they automatically say, well, this proves that the melatonin was working. Does this mean I need to take melatonin forever? Um, am I going to be reliant on it forever? Like, how, how do you help address that conflict? You know, because we're here saying that melatonin isn't an effective treatment for chronic insomnia, but then when people are trying to come off it, they see that their sleep's getting worse. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I think there are a couple of options there. Um, one, you know, if... if if somebody is like uh, really into kind of like sleep physiology, then you can, you know, I, I try to, you know, I, I tell them that um, uh, the only thing that makes you sleep and sleep is really your, in your natural sleep drive, your need for sleep. And I think a good analogy is, is, is eating. Like I always tell people like uh, the only thing that can make you hungry and eat is like fasting, staying awake. And then if people, if people believe that, like they see that and like, yeah, I understand the only thing that actually can make me sleepy is like my sleep drive. Then they can be more uh, willing to explore the fact that melatonin has nothing to do with it. Mm. Um, another, like what I feel a lot of people tell me is that, you know, this medication or melatonin, it works sometimes and sometimes does not work. And that's a really good way to uh, explore like why doesn't it work all the time and then they're like I don't know and then I'm like well it's because it actually doesn't work it's just you weren't sleepy enough that time but to describe the scenario you have I, I pro probably one option is to just say well you know as long as you're doing well then it's fine you can like continue taking it but uh, when you start having like more sleep confidence as, as time goes by and maybe that one time you forgot to take it and you still slept good and you know things like that happen and you, you start questioning it then when you're ready you can start you know tapering off you know yeah that's good one thing i notice with a lot of people when they start when they come off the melatonin we've kind of gone down a rabbit hole of melatonin here but um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um one thing that I find is that at first they might find that sleep becomes a little bit more difficult just because they're kind of taking away that mental crutch, uh -huh. but they feel so much better in the morning. Like when they first wake up, I tend to find that a lot of people that take quite a lot of melatonin in the morning, they have this like real sleep inertia, this real, real like strong lethargy and morning grogginess, which they tend to have always associated with their insomnia. Right. They start taking less melatonin. I'm, so I always like kind of start to wonder is, is so much of this morning fatigue associated with people who have insomnia and they're taking melatonin more to do with the melatonin than with the poor night of sleep? Like, is that anything you've thought about or come across? That's interesting. I never really thought about that. Uh, but I will say this, I, I, I always thought of melatonin as like, you know, it's naturally produced in our brains. You take a little, some extra, like, 
how much is that really going to affect you? Yeah. And, and as a lot of people feel like I took melatonin, it did nothing for me. And mm-hmm. I, I am not surprised when I hear that. But I also have a lot of people that say, I took melatonin and I felt like so tired, hung over it. And I'm always surprised, but I feel like I've heard it so many times that there might be something to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, that's, uh, I, that's pretty much what my thoughts on that. Yeah. I thought there was one more thing I want to add, but I forgot. I was just curious because, I mean, yeah. it's only observational, right? And it's just something that I've observed. You know, there's so, so much when someone takes melatonin, they tend to be the people that have more of this morning fatigue and morning grogginess. Yeah. And as soon as they stop taking it, um, they, they notice such an improvement and it's weird. I mean, it may not be connected, but it's just an observational thing that I've noticed working with people. It's uh, yep. You know, th- that might be, there might be absolutely much some truth in it. And, and now, now I remember what I was going to bring <clears throat> right. up, which I, which I just, another thing I just talked, thought about like the other day, which was, you know, when people, people with insomnia typically are tired, you know, foggy, mm-hmm. fatigued, as you know. And, and I have always has ascribed it to the fact that they have poor quality sleep, fra- fragmented sleep, uh, and, and, and that causes that. But now, just the other day, and I'm, I'm curious to hear what you think about this. I was thinking, maybe it's not the fragmented sleep that is the culprit. Maybe it's the hyper arousal. Maybe it's that your brain is running at, you know, 150 miles an hour all day, and part of the night, maybe that's why you're so tired. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That makes sense to me. I mean, because if you think about it, let's think back to when we were at school, if it was college or high school, whatever, it doesn't matter. And you're like studying for an exam and it's like a really high pressure period where you're really using your brain. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's exhausting. Right. It yeah. So that definitely makes sense. You know, especially if you have like really entrenched chronic insomnia where you just spend all this brain power thinking about sleep, worrying about sleep, it's exhausting, right? Yeah. So I, yeah, that makes sense to me. That could, I think that could easily be a primary driver of fatigue that we tend to blame on the insufficient sleep. Exactly. But it's probably more to do with just the brain working like a, a, a mile of front in a mile a minute. hundred yeah, percent. I think there's good. something there. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So uh, let's, let's wrap up. Let's wrap this conversation up. It's been great. Um, I just want to ask you one final question. All sure. right. So if someone is listening to this, they've had insomnia for years, maybe even decades. They think they've tried everything. They think they're beyond help. There's nothing they can do to improve their sleep. They just feel completely defeated. What would you tell them? Oh, I would tell them a couple of things, but I think, you know, one, one thing is, uh, a lot of people tend to feel lonely and isolated, but know that uh, there are a lot of people that struggle with insomnia, and that's not, of course, not a good thing. But you, there's nothing wrong with you. Like you know, it's your. It's not like your sleep. You know, something's wrong with your 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 immune system or your digestive system or your. It's just like you 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 developed insomnia. Like you have these behaviors and and thought processes that is that that's that is all it is. There's nothing else. And then I want to say, uh, there's all like, there's always hope. Like, I have yet to come across, as I mentioned before, I've yet to come across somebody who committed to CBT, who didn't give up, who kept working with me, that has not gone on to do better. Like, literally, everyone does better that is committed and tries. And uh, and a final thing here, so many people say that I've tried everything and the irony is that almost everyone has tried they've tried everything except what actually works Mm -hmm. 
which is CBT. So, you know, people have tried everything except what they should try, you know, from day one, the thing that really works. So there's always hope. That's great. Thank, thank you so much. Um, so yeah, I think that uh, we've covered quite a lot of ground today and um, I'm sure that a lot, everyone listening is going to get a lot of value out of it. So thank you so much, so much for your time, Daniel. Um, I'm going to put links to your YouTube channel um, and to your app and to your books in the, in the show notes. Um, apart from that, if someone wanted to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to find you or to get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. All those things are good. Um, you can, I'm, 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 I'm on Twitter, Daniel Erickson. Uh, I'm on Instagram as well. And, and, the, and the YouTube channel and any, any Avenue there, I'll, you'll find me. All right, great. I'll make sure that we put links to them all in the show notes. Um, thank you again so much for your time, Daniel. Anytime. It's been a pleasure, Martin. Take care. So. Thanks for listening to the insomnia coach podcast. If you're ready to implement cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia CBTI techniques to improve your sleep, but think you might need some additional support and guidance, I would love to help. There are two ways we can work together. First, you can get my online coaching course. This is the most popular option. My course combines sleep education with unlimited support and guidance and is guaranteed to improve your sleep. I will teach you and help you implement new CBTI techniques over a period of eight weeks. This gives you time to build sleep confidence and notice results without feeling overwhelmed. You can get the course and start right now at insomniacoach.com forward slash online. I also offer a phone coaching package where we start with a one hour call. This can be voice only or video, your choice. And we come up with an initial two week plan that will have you implementing CBTI techniques that will lead to long term improvements in your sleep. You get unlimited email based support and guidance for two weeks after the call, along with a half hour follow up call at the end of the two weeks. You can book the phone coaching package at insomniacoach.com forward slash phone. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Insomnia Coach podcast. I'm Martin Reed, and as always, I'd like to leave you with this important reminder. You can sleep. <laughs>